a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Once again, I'd like to welcome my friend and colleague, Gary Welch. Gary, good to have you back on the program again. Oh, I so enjoy being on your show, Brian. It's, it's always a learning experience for me. As it is for me. And I know I come off as well. You seem to think you have all the answers. No, I, I talk about a lot of stuff and I'm hopefully gaining some answers in the course of it. But uh, mostly inquiring minds like mine want to know. And that's why that's why we bring up the things we bring up here. I sent you an article. I emailed this to you because it popped up on my Twitter feed earlier today. Politicians and business interests pushed health officials aside to control reopening. Then cases exploded. Now, this is talking about Utah. And I thought, Gary, you and I have a very vested interest in helping to educate our fellow Utahns, as well as other people who may be interested uh, throughout the free world, as to uh, what happens when politicians and health officials actually decide this business is essential or preferred, but this one isn't. And I wanted to know, did you get a chance to look at this article? I did. I read it when you sent to me, and I was actually astounded that they made such a proposal. It was, to me, like, well, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So I'm glad, then, that I wasn't the only one who read this and went, really? This sounds like you're trying to pin, um, you know, the the increase in cases of... of, uh, I don't even know what it would be, diagnosed or uh, positive tests for COVID-19 on the fact that those business interests wanted to reopen and health officials were ignored. And the subheadline here says this is published on ProPublica.org. Interviews and internal emails show that Utah prioritized the health of businesses over keeping coronavirus case counts down. As case counts rise, the state will now allow indoor gatherings of up to 3,000 people. Okay. Where do we begin in in, in pointing out that uh, there's a blame game going on here, but it ought not be taking place? Well, the one thing that I want to point out that I thought was absolutely funny was that they were pointing out the the natural um, suspicion that we have about politicians. Um, I've, I've mentioned this before. We talk about it in the book, too, in that. Poll after poll shows that most Americans do not trust politicians. It averages around 85 to 90%. So they're playing it on that. But what they're playing it on is, okay, don't trust politicians because they are going to try to kill you with with the COVID-19 disease. And they're using that as fear mongering. I'm like, okay, I get the point of not trusting them, but you're going in the wrong directions with that mistrust. Well, and as we as we look at this from four months down the road, it turns out that even if the cases may be going higher in terms of their recognizing, okay, more people have been infected, that was to be expected, right? This is this is a virus you cannot hide from. It is going to work its way through the population. But I don't hear a lot of talk about how the death rate, as those case numbers go higher, the death rate actually seems to be shrinking in a corresponding way, as do the number of cases that had to be hospitalized. 
I've, I've always had an issue with government getting involved with this and, and, and promoting the fear. And, and you and I have talked about this quite often. And again, you, I've, I've, I've been listening to the show. You brought people on that have, have talked about this and that they're tra- trying to promote this fear. This is something you need to be scared about. And the reason why they're trying to keep us scared is because when we get scared, we lose reason. And this is a, it's a proven theory. Uh, psychiatrists and psychologists will always talk about that. When you are scared, the logical side of your mind shuts down and the emotional side of your mind takes over. And at that point, fear will run everything. You become more susceptible to suggestions and being controlled and people telling you to do things and you're going, yeah, sure, let's go do it. You're going to reject evidence and facts because your logical mind is shut down. And I'm just seeing this, especially by the media, they're trying to purposely create fear among the people. Well, and I hate it when I see that fear attached to, uh, for instance, the idea that, well, these businesses, how dare they want to reopen or how dare they be looking out for their interests? Um, that to me is, is uh, maybe I'm wrong, but, but there's, there's a very anti-capitalist, anti-free market feel to that. How dare they want to survive or thrive and, and continue to provide employment and services to people when we have told them that you're not supposed to be thinking about that. And for them to even boldly state that, well, they put your life at risk for businesses. When we saw that they absolutely did just the opposite, they sacrificed businesses for even what, what you and I would consider a low risk in which I love to talk about, about how low of a risk this really was. For them to sit there and say, no, that's not the case. They were actually p- pushing businesses ahead of the public good when they absolutely went in there and shut these businesses down and ruined lives. You've had guests on your show where they were talking about that. They actually demonstrated how their lives were ruined and how their businesses were ruined by government getting in. It wasn't COVID that shut their business down. It was the government regulations that shut it down. I think one of the greatest missed opportunities that happened during this whole uh, unraveling and and the whole rollout of this crisis was when Utah legislators tried to meet to clarify that the the proper authority for making those kinds of decisions, at least the regulatory or legislative authority for that, needed to be restricted to elected officials as opposed to appointed ones. And sadly, it was freedom-minded Utahns that uh, got, you know, they got wigged out and ah, this is an enabling act and we have to stop it. And they, they came at the legislators so hard that they effectively shut down legislation, which would have clarified that that should be in the hands of people who are accountable. And, and I understand, you know, as a purist, I'm like, it really shouldn't be in their hands either. But let's at least get it back out of the hands of the unelected bureaucrats, because that's where the greatest abuse seems to be emanating from. And one of the things that um, we've talked about before, and, and, and one of the things I want to promote right now is just this. 85 to 90% of us do not trust politicians. We know that they are lying. It's not as high, but it's still way up there. It, it goes around the 70% mark. We do not trust media. We, we believe that they have an agenda and that they're promoting that agenda and not everything that they tell us 
is the truth. And what I'm saying is, why are we trusting them now? What is it about them that you said, oh, okay, we now believe everything they say. We now are, are going with everything they tell us to do. What has occurred that says, I should trust government? No, that's, that's a great question. The only answer I would hazard at this point is, well, because I'm afraid. As <laughs> long as I'm afraid, I guess I'll do whatever, you know, I'm, I'm being told to do. But, uh, you know, we're not telling people to be reckless here, are we? I mean, could somebody misunderstand what you and I are saying to say, hey, caution to the wind, you know, go out there and kiss every stranger that you see on the mouth? No. But we are saying that at some point you've got to assert your own autonomy or you're going to find yourself on a very, very short leash. Well, the main point that I want to get back to and, and have the discussion when we get back from the break is just this. Okay, let's let's acknowledge that COVID-19 is is dangerous. But here's what I really want to go with. Is it a threat? Because that's the big difference. There's danger and then there is a threat. Danger does not necessarily mean that you have to have government involved. Threat does. You know, there was an article, I, I won't go into it, but I'll include it in the show notes. There was an article from Breitbart.com that uh, talked about in Washington, D.C., uh, I believe it was the mayor, had had come up with uh, with some kind of a uh, uh, a directive saying, okay, so everybody has to wear masks if you're over the age of 18. But do you know who's exempted? Care to take a guess on who is exempted from wearing those masks? Judges Nothing. and official uh, city officials and anybody who is on duty. And by the way, that extends to federal employees as well. If you're on duty, you're safe. The virus knows it can't touch you, so you don't have to wear the mask. But the rest of you, put it on. There we go. <laughs> That's typical government, isn't it? It applies to you, but not to us. Trust us. Exactly. Right? One set of rules for me and another for thee. And that's where that uh, lack of trust really seems to, to be uh, coming from. We've got to take a very quick break. My guest is Gary Welch. We have a lot more to talk about just the other side of these messages. Of course, check the show notes. You will find them at thebrianhydeshow.com. You'll also find various articles and essays we didn't have time to air. And they'll be worth your time as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welsh is my guest. Gary, we were talking about uh, the fear. And oh, there is so much fear to go around. Let's take this in a productive direction though, and talk about what can we do about the fear that's being broadcast at us or pushed at us pretty much 24-7. And, and we brought that up the last time that I was on the show. We, we talked about how can we attack this? How can we go and, and bring people back so that the reason and understanding is going to prevail? So one of the things that we have to do is, is get rid of that fear. They are promoting this fear, and they are doing it by talking about the greatest fear we have of all, which is this thing will kill you. And 
there's there's polls and studies that they've done that shows that like folks who are 18 to 30 years old think they're going to die from that whereas there's, there's no evidence at all that that is the case they do believe they're going to die so what we have to do the the thing that everyone who's listening to us right now how you can stop this this fear is you need to do two things the first one is calm provide that calm and assurance that this is not a threat and i and i talked about this before is it dangerous yes but guess what get in your car and drive it that's dangerous does government have the right to sit there and really like say well you can only go 30 miles per hour you can't drive in inclement weather you can't drive in dark because you might get killed by that no, they don't do that. They, everybody knows that that's a risk, and we're willing to take it. The thing is, is it a threat? And so what we have to do, and, and we brought this out in the book, and I thought it was one of the, the coolest things, and, and I'm not sure, if, Brian, if you were the one that, that took us down this road, but you talked about how the numbers really did not equate with what they're trying to tell us about the real danger. And I'm just going to give you a really quick example about this, to just to kind of show how this works. Let's, let's go ahead and use Utah as an example. Did you realize that if you live in Utah, the percentage, the chances of you dying from COVID-19 is 0. 0, 0, 0.007%. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mind has to work to comprehend numbers that small. That's in general. That's overall. That's no, I, no age limits, no nothing. If I take it to if you're under 65, that goes to a 0.02%. Zero, zero, Okay, you go, oh, okay, Utah. Well, that's just Utah, Gary. All right, how about New York? Let's try New York, the worst-case scenario, right? Your percentage overall of dying from COVID-19 is 0.17%. Not wow. 1%, 0.1%. And if you're under 65, now listen to this, 0. 00 one percent it's even lower than it is in utah okay so i'm going to ask the obvious question why are we treating this as if uh, it is ebola running wild and and taking you know the life of every third person in the room i mean we're, pe- I people are scared to death and i think that's part of where the issue comes folks like yourself you know and, and this is where you can be you you and those who are listening, we have to do this right. And what, we're, what we've been doing is saying, well, it's no worse than the flu, or it's just like the flu, or it's not a threat, and they're lying to us, which they are. But, you know, by the way, all those numbers I used, I used the CDC numbers. I used their numbers, as, as inflated as they are. It's still that way. And what have we got to do, though, is change the conversation to say, is this a threat? If I'm telling you that you're in New York City and the chances of you dying from COVID-19 is 0.001%, you're going to say, 
that's not a threat. And when that comes about, the fear goes away. Here's the other thing that I want everyone to do. Knowing those numbers, here's another way that we can eliminate the fear, and that's simply by observation. What they're telling us is one thing, and what we see is another. And my question to everybody would be, have you or anyone in your immediate family or anyone that you immediately know, not that you heard about, not through the news, not anything else, just in your observable experience. Have you had someone die from COVID? Wow. Now, sadly, there are some people who would say yes, but... That's going to be less than 0.1%. Keeping it in perspective is the key, and that's, I guess that's what's lacking... And, and that's uh, hopefully this is what people are taking from the conversation you and I are having right now. We're not saying, hey, this is nothing, man. You know, ignore it. Um, it's it's a thing. It's real. This is not a conspiracy. You know, I mean, come on. We just celebrated what the, uh, you know, uh, 51st anniversary of landing on the moon. And there are people we didn't go to the moon to which I'll say, right. what, you still believe in the moon? You're one of those people. No, it's, this is not a conspiracy. But someone is milking or, or using this crisis to to uh, paint us into a corner and we're going to find ourselves in a place very soon where we won't have any wiggle room whatsoever and and it doesn't mean that you know you have to grab a pitchfork and grab a torch and go out there and and be violent burn the cities you know loot and and harm other people you just have to recognize what's happening and be willing to stand up and assert your rights and your freedom and and refuse to go along with uh, what may have started as well intentioned policies that nonetheless are causing greater harm than the actual virus itself. And so one of the things that we've, we've promoted in the book, and we talked about this, is we agree, do not trust government. Do not trust them. They are not trustworthy individuals. They do not care about you. I don't care what, what Governor Como says. He does not care about you. There is no government official out there that does. So they really do not care about you. So you do not trust them, and that's a good thing to do. And one of the things is, is how do they use their numbers? And they're using these subjective numbers like number of deaths compared to number of tested. Well, there are so many things that relate to it. And what we did is we said, let's use numbers that are indisputable. There is, it's, it's not of how you view it. It is just, it is reality. And all we did is compared the number of deaths per the CDC to the population. Very solid numbers. There's no debate about this. There's no arguing about, well, are those, you know, subjective or anything like that? That's just it. And from that, basically, then you can say this. Is this a threat or not? If it is not a threat, then government has no business at all being involved with this. Okay, I'm trying to think of what possible objection somebody would have to to what you have just laid out here. And and maybe, you know, maybe I'm I'm just biased and thinking, well, of course Gary's right. Gary's right about most everything. No. How how could somebody push back against that? What could they possibly say? Well, that's all fine and interesting, but here's why I I can't uh, embrace it. And that's the important part about this is, is, is anybody can do this. You can do this yourself in your own state. I know this is there. There's many people out there from different states. Go to your state. I, I'd happen to do it on six of them. And uh, it all comes up about the same number. But it's just that. 
These are indisputable numbers. Nobody's arguing about the population. If you are, then all everything we've ever done, how many people employed or anything like that goes away. These are solid numbers that are indisputable that says here is the chances of you dying from COVID. And we need to get that out. Where can we steer people to start getting that information out there? You. I want them to start listening to you. I really do, because I don't think people are standing up and saying it as, as well as, as you have been doing. All right. We have some great resources. Gary, we'll, be, we'll have you back on the show next week. Thanks again for being my guest. Okay. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, phone line is open at 801-331-8113. It's Friday. If you got something to get off your chest, I'm here. I have no, uh, you know, clinical expertise. I, I can't counsel anybody, but uh, I'll be your friend. <laughs> I'll listen to you. 801-331-8113. You ever hear of the term permissionless innovation? I had not heard of it till about, I'm guessing, two years ago, maybe three years ago. Uh, I had the chance to interview a guy by the name of Adam Thierer. Connor Boyack and I were, uh, were doing a podcast called Society in the State, and Adam Thierer was one of our guests. And he talked about permissionless innovation. And this is kind of his thing. And in a nutshell, permissionless innovation means innovators and entrepreneurs should be able to go about their uh, their innovation, their improvements, whatever it is they're trying to do to make life better without first going before some government body or some regulatory agency with their hat in hand or on their knees begging, please, sir, may I? They shouldn't have to. The default setting should be that as long as you're not harming somebody, as long as your behavior is peaceful, you should be free to pursue this. But we have this regulatory apparatus that has been built up that unfortunately makes that very, very difficult. So I, I really liked Adam's message. And when I saw an article post, posted on the American Institute for Economic Research website, this is from actually Wayne T. Bro, Ph.D. I'm probably saying his name. Maybe it's Wayne T. Bruff. Anyway, in praise of evasive entrepreneurs, this has a slightly uh, rebellious sound to it. But listen to what they have to say here. Dr. Bruff, I'm going to go with that, says Adam Thierer's new book, Evasive Entrepreneurs and the Future of Governance, is a welcome progression of his work on permissionless innovation. Picking up on earlier themes, Thierer discusses in more detail how permissionless innovation actually plays out in the real world. In this book, he examines that gray zone where existing laws and new technologies are out of step. This is where the evasive entrepreneurs work, pushing the boundaries of current laws with products and services that defy categorization by regulators. And as Thierer emphasizes, this is a good thing that advances freedom and allows society to flourish. Now, evasive entrepreneurs do not conform to social or legal norms. Their activities are as political as they are economic. And unlike their rent-seeking counterparts... 
Evasive entrepreneurs are not looking for political favors to try to keep their competitors at bay. More often than not, they're battling cronyism and existing laws that protect entrenched incumbents. In other words, they're battling the barriers that have been put up to keep them out of the market. The challenge for the evasive entrepreneur is to avoid the heavy hand of regulators while creating new goods and services and chipping away at the market share of incumbent firms. Now, much of Thurer's book flows from a pacing problem where new technologies roll out at a rate that far exceeds the bureaucratic capacity of legislators and regulators to keep up, creating a nebulous region without clear rules or regulations. Importantly, new technologies are deployed to provide ways around the obstacles created by today's regulatory policies. The book Evasive Entrepreneurs offers numerous examples of technologies that have challenged the status quo. Some of these you'll recognize. Ride-sharing services upsetting local taxicab cartels, 3D printers that have the power to replicate heavily regulated products like firearms or medical devices, or cryptocurrencies that defy models of financial regulation. The article here says the new technologies create governance issues from the local level all the way up to the federal level, something Thurer emphasizes in the second half of the book's title, The Future of Governance. See, he suggests that evasive entrepreneurs have an important impact on policymakers. Specifically, they confront regulators and legislators with new technologies that require changes to current laws. All right, we'll come back to this in just a moment. Let's open up the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Hello? Hello there. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear me get uh, clicked in. I was wearing my sneakers, um, so that's that's why. I'm pretty stealthy. Ah, nicely done. Um, so you had said to call if you've got something you want to get off your chest, and i got something I want to get off my chest. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. Um, I was listening to a report that said that the in 2017 that the FBI, and I can't remember the name of the document, but they had researched it and found out that uh, the document that had been used to um, begin the investigation um, on President Trump uh, with the, with the, he had been involved with the Russians in the election or whatever. Right, right. They knew that it was a fake document in 2017, and they buried it. So they went through this whole investigation for all these years, and a lot of money was spent on that investigation. And the thing that really chaps my hide is it was my money. Oh, yeah. You're welcome, so, uh, was what the bureaucrats would, would like, say. I would like uh, all of the FBI uh, upper echelon that was involved in burying that to be let go have all of their assets seized and to start there by paying back all the American citizens. And you know what? I don't care if my share is $3. It's the point. No, I, I don't blame you one bit. And unfortunately, those in the, uh, you know, the high ivory towers of Washington, D.C., seem to be operating under the idea that, hey, do you know who we are? We can get away with this. You couldn't. You would be sitting in prison for years, but because of who we are, you know, we don't have to worry about that. Well, they they choose not to worry about it, but payday always comes for everybody. I agree. And and I don't I don't know precisely how it's going to come for them, but I am confident it is going to come. I, I I'll tell you and what I my, don't my know. go ahead. 
Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say my worry is it's going to come in a way that uh, that we probably aren't expecting. And I mean that, uh, like, there, there may be some divine attribute of judgment that, that will help to even the scales of justice. Because I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to happen other than uh, it's going to take something earth-shaking. And I mean, I'm talking like a major natural disaster or something that brings us to a place where we're humble enough to say, okay, we can't continue the way that we've been going. Well... And I, I would say that it, it may not come until after this life, and that's fine. And I don't feel like that I have to get my pound of flesh. But I was just—I I just don't think that people generally—I mean, I think most of the people that listen to, you know, your kinds of shows understand that, that it's we the people that foot the bill for that. And that was what millions of dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hundreds of millions, most likely. Yeah, probably. And and you're right to okay. be frustrated. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to foment more anger, but I am going to definitely say we need to evaluate. At what point do we say, okay, I'm withdrawing my consent. I'm not going to play along with the system. You politicians, you can say what you want to. You can put your words on paper, but as long as I feel like you're not representing me, I'm not going to feel bound morally to do what you tell me to do. Right. Well, and, and I guess when it, it comes down to spending taxpayers' money on stuff that really bothers me, it's it's um, the support of the abortion clinics that comes from the government that just that really, really upsets me far more than, than, you know, the FBI ever does because it's bad that you make people's lives miserable, but to kill children I think it's just pretty darn low. Agreed. It's and that's that's a big thorn in the side, I think, for a lot of us. Well, I got to uh, vent myself to all six of us that are listening to you, so I feel better. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Okay, and 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 the other five of us are, are uh, nodding our heads in appreciation. Thanks for your call. Eight zero one three three one eighty one thirteen. I'm going to come back to this article on uh, permissionless innovation, and the article says the fact that new technologies are driving better outcomes forces regulators to rethink old rules and ideally come up with a better set of solutions more conducive to economic growth. This is the obverse side of the pacing problem. With the rise of the administrative state and its ability to regulate, well, virtually everything, evasive entrepreneurs play a critical role in challenging outdated laws and using the political arena to make them more conducive to innovation and economic growth. And Adam Thierer praises the regulatory entrepreneur who can seize opportunities by either forcing changes in the law or identifying loopholes that can be used to reshape the markets. The political battles fought by the ride-sharing service Uber as it expanded to cities across the country and throughout the world is a good example of how a strategy like that might work. Okay, I've got to take a quick break, so we will do that. I'll come back. We'll finish up this article. Also, I have some great information to share with you. I don't know if you've been concerned as you've looked at all the young people out there rioting and burning things and tearing down statues and assaulting people, you know, in the name of justice. If you want to make sure that your kids and grad kids aren't doing this in another 10 or 20 years, I've got some great information to share with you. It's called Manners and How to Teach Them to Young Kids. We'll cover that, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. By the way, if you get the opportunity, go to the com. You will find a button there. It's very easy to find. Just scroll down the page, and there it is. Subscribe to the podcast. I know that a lot of people listen to the podcast because it's convenient. You can do it on your own terms. You don't have to be sitting by the radio at a given time. Although, if you're doing it right now, I really appreciate you doing that. Especially if, like, you, you know, had to quit your job and, I don't know, move to a city where you could actually hear, you know, it being broadcast on the radio. That's great. And I thank you for doing it. But the podcast thing is an option, and it's very, very easy to subscribe. And again, it's the com. You can also find show notes there. Please go and, and uh, just click the button, and then it will be delivered to you every time we post a new episode. It's there, and you can listen at your leisure. Let's go back to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Brian, did you watch the press briefing today? I did not. What did I miss? Okay, did, they, did Dr. Fauci throw another pitch? No, actually, they took videos of what's going on in Portland, Oregon, the violence that's going on in the city. And no media is covering that. And then even Fox News had to pull away and say it was too graphic. And they should have been warned about the video that the Trump administration was going to show live on the air. So what was so graphic? Really an idea. What was so graphic about it? Um, The one gal said that she wanted to kill all the police officers and burn down the precincts and burn their houses down with their families in it. Well, I guess that was too graphic. That's wow. reality, though, right? That's what's going on. That's the news. That's what they should be reporting. I'm sorry. I'm just having this image of Jack Nicholson from A Few Good Men coming to my mind. You can't handle the truth. That's the news media mm-hmm. to us right now. That's the news media to us for the last 25 years. Dr. Fauci, the news media, and all these globalists and these deep states and these corrupt politicians that have been in government for 40-plus years are our enemies, and they have to go. We live it's in interesting. Amazing to see the hypocrisy in these people and how corrupt they are. Well, this is this is as good an excuse as any to unplug from the matrix, or at least unplug from mainstream media, and that would include Fox News to a large extent. Yes. And yes. and if look, if there's something that interests you, if there's something you really want to know about, by all means, go out there and do the research on it. But by by separating yourself from the mainstream fear dispensing systems. You'll be amazed at how normal the world starts to look. And it's not that you're trying to ignore things so much as you're just choosing. This adds value to my life. That doesn't. Yeah, I can't watch even the local shows like the, the KUTV, Channel 2, ABC4 News. You can't watch any of it. Uh, Fox 13, Salt Lake City local news station. You can't watch it. It's all corrupt. It's all brainwashing. I, I'm nodding my head vigorously. If it sounds like somebody shaking a paint can, that's my brain rattling around because I'm nodding so vigorously. You should you should actually take find that um, press briefing video and uh, put it on your website because this is what's got to happen. The, the real media has to be us, I guess. Now we can't trust these people anymore. Exactly. I mean, you, you can't trust the the Ron Birds and you can't trust the uh, what's the other one? Bob Evans, the globalist. You can't trust these people anymore. They're all bought and paid for. Yeah. Disgusting. Look, and, and, and I want to I temper what you're saying with the understanding. Look, these are just people. 
Okay, I don't think that they are, you know, deep state operatives and they, you know, they sit in the smoke filled room and light cigars with hundred dollar bills while they think about how to enslave us. I think in their minds, they're probably doing what they think is the right thing. But it doesn't change the fact we are not being given complete information. We're being fed a narrative that's supposed to lead us to the conclusion that whatever's happening, according to the government or according to the media, is, you know, supposed to be happening the way it's happening. And, and we just got to quit. Uh, we, we've got to quit accepting it. Stop accepting the narrative. Unplug from it. Just turn your back on them. And if there's something you want to know about, you have the access to the tools to learn whatever you need to learn without some expert trying to explain it to you. I, I also saw a picture of Dr. Fauci at the baseball game sitting in between two people shoulder to shoulder with his mask off. So there really was no social distancing, nor was he wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, besides besides the pathetic pitch. (laughs) Do what you're told, not what I do. What's that word that's saying? Yep. I mean. Do as I say, not as I do. Do what I say, not as I do. It's, you know, and, and these people in the news media, it's really sad that that's their career, that they're puppets on a string. You know, instead of being real news reporters, whatever happened in the days of when we had news reporters, I guess that was when people used to smack their kids before it was time out corner. <laughs> now, Rob, I don't want you to think I'm selling out, but I, I, I have to kind of defend those who are in the position of those newscasters. Um, we're all brainwashed to some degree, every single one of us, myself included. All of us have to learn to find our way out of the swamp of misinformation. And for most of us, you know, with a few exceptions, our job doesn't really depend on us maintaining that status quo. In their case, there's a line that they have to toe, and that line is getting more and more clear. If they don't report things according to the way that corporate decides they want it reported, they're going to be out on the street. So, I mean, there, there's pressure. I'm, I'm saying... At some point, some of them do wake up and they they become really, independent where's, where's journalists. Where, where, where's their man? Where's a man's dignity? Where is a man's dignity in the country he lives in, and and the loyalty to the country and the freedom of the people? Where is that? It's lost they in don't fear. Have it. It's They're lost cowards. in the fear of losing their job or losing their audience. And, and that's look, that's just a part of human nature. I guess what I'm saying is I don't regard them as stupid and I don't regard them as evil. I do think they're misinformed, but I, but I don't want to – I'm not going to stoop to calling them my enemy. They're just people who don't realize what they're missing. And, and there may be some exceptions. There might be some cases where they know and choose to go along with it. Okay, that's, that's pretty wicked stuff there. But I think that that's a very tiny I'm, minority. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure they're willing to go along with it, to keep a paycheck coming in and to keep their jobs, to do what they're doing. Yeah. And it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad that they're, they're willing to throw their fellow countrymen under the, under the bus for a paycheck. But they don't see it that, that way. Is- they see, they see it as, look, I'm educated, and therefore I am, and I'm in this position of importance and prominence. And so it's my duty to tell you what to think because you are... You know, you're the unwashed. You're the person, if you had a brain, you'd be outside playing with it. It's condescending, but, but there are a lot who approach it from that, that standpoint. I'm doing you a favor by telling you how racist and evil and stupid you are. Why aren't you thanking me? I, I watch these people, and I, 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 I can't even watch it for 30 seconds. I mean, every morning. I hear you. I, have to, I flip through every station, and I get up early. I'm up at like 2.33 in the morning, and that's when I click on the news, and that's when I see... World News, you go through CBS, ABC News, 
MSNBC shut them off because they're all just bought and paid for. You nailed it. Turn it off. And then I'm out doing my farm and stuff, and then I get back to the news, and I get to the local news because they're waking up finally. Just turn it all off. Hey, I got to stop here because there's a couple things I need to touch on before I'm out of time. Thank you so much for your call. Let's talk manners. I'm going to have this in the show show notes. Uh, this is an article from Emma Friere, four tics, four tricks rather for teaching manners to young children. Somebody obviously skipped this lesson with a lot of the kids who are out there writing, the young people writing. But if you want to teach your kids manners. Some basic standards for getting along in society. Here are four things that could really help you. Number one, she says, prepare them in advance. They're more likely to practice good manners if you clearly explain, explain in advance what you expect from them. If we're going to go see Mrs. Smith, I'd sit down with my kids ahead of time and say, we're going to Mrs. Smith's house. When we arrive, you should shake her hand and say, hello, Mrs. Smith. My name is David. Maybe even act it out with them. Otherwise, when they arrive, they might be a little shy and refuse to introduce themselves. Number two... We have to set a good example at all times. Every parent knows they have to be the role model for their child. But it bears repeating in the context of manners. If you tell your kids to act a certain way, you better act that way too. Family life can be very casual. You could ask your spouse for something without saying please and they won't find it rude. But do your best to be polite. Use manners around the house. Those little eyes and ears are paying attention. Number three, give positive feedback. That's a great child-rearing tactic, and Emma Freer says particularly so when it comes to teaching manners. She says, I do my best to stay alert to when my kids are being polite, and then I praise them for it. That incentivizes them to keep up the good work. And number four, appeal to their role models. Outside authorities are a great way to teach manners as their influence can make more of an impression than mom or dad continually reminding them. So, for instance, her daughter's five years old and loves princesses. So if her daughter says, yuck, about food on the table... She could talk to her daughter about a beautiful princess who lives in a palace who would never say yuck about her dinner. She says teaching manners is a marathon rather than a sprint. It continues throughout childhood. So don't be upset if you fail to see progress for a while. Keep teaching consistently. Eventually your kids will get the hang of it. I think there's some great advice there. If nothing else, it's that idea that example is everything. Not just for kids, but for other people around us as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show.